This is exactly right. Anytime I'm ever around early childhood educators, I'm just so struck at how kind-hearted they are. And, um, and so I think we can trust that. And it's good for your child to be around people who don't talk like you, who don't look like you, who don't do things the way that you do, because they're learning about all the different kinds of people in the world. And, um, and so that's a good thing. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Maintaining Connection with Your Children as a Working Parent with Anne McKittrick. Anne is a parenting expert and coach, child development specialist, and teacher trainer. She is host of Parenting in the First Three Years podcast and founder of Nurtured Noggins. Over her 30-plus year career, Anne has cared for countless babies in her child development programs, plus three kids of her own, three grandbabies, and five foster babies. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is so lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So I heard read, listened to, that your calling for children, your love of children, uh, started very young in your life, um, I would say, as a child yourself. Yes. You know, when, um, when I was seven years old, my mother went to work. I was the fourth of five kids. And, um, and that was kind of unusual. I'm an older person. And so most of our moms didn't work full time. And my mom went to work and she became the first director of the child care center that opened at our church. And that was kind of a big deal, too. It, was, it wasn't as common. And, and so I grew up in those elementary, junior high years going to work with her every day in the summer. And I would just go and initially, you know, kind of played with the kids and was one of the kids. But then as I got older, I really um, began to observe the children. And this was back in the day when privacy wasn't quite as much a big of a deal. And my mom yeah. would let me read the files. You know, she would let me read the files on the children. And I loved reading what, what the parents would say about their children about just, you know, their, you know, their personality, their quirks, what, you know, what works at home and then watch the kids in the, in the school and just kind of think about it and compare it. And I think that's probably where it was birthed. And uh, yeah, I just always have loved observing and talking with and interacting with children and their parents, but particularly the children. Now, was that the time, uh, those early years, did you know you wanted to be in child education and child care and or 
become a mother. I know that some people have that that feeling well before others expect them to. Right. Yeah, I really wanted to be a mother. And I, I, that's really, you know, I didn't have a lot of ambition as, as a teenager. I, and so I just went to college and I just took courses I was in, interested in. I took things like child mm-hmm. development and things like that, along with all my others. And eventually it just kind of worked into a degree in uh, consumer sciences and education and then I just fell into a graduate program where I got this amazing degree in human development and family studies and um, got to work in these fabulous laboratory on campus schools with infants and their parents. It was just it was just delightful. I was I, it was such a gift to just fall into something that I loved so much. And then I just kind of continued with that. So I, I actually think you just told everyone the recipe for how to do higher education for those that move on. And that is to follow your interest. Like, you know, the idea you said, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. There's so much pressure these days for young adults and students to know what they want to do for quote, the rest of their lives at a very young age, which I don't think is, mm-hmm. is a very realistic expectation. So to, for you to follow your interests and take classes that were of interest to you and and pursue those, I would say this is the ideal model for finding joy and finding work that doesn't feel like work most of the time. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, you know, I think that there's good reasons for secondary schools to kind of steer kids in a way, but then in a sense, it doesn't broaden their experience, you know, and it kind of, I think mm-hmm. it can be limiting. Um, kids have a lot of opportunity that, that I didn't have when I was in high school to, to make mm-hmm. those kind of decisions. But I do have some pretty strong feelings about kids graduating high school with college degrees. <laughs> yes. I think, yes. I think their yes. brains need a little bit longer to develop before they have to enter the work world. Uh, Yes. Um, and it seems like brains are, I don't know if they're taking any longer to develop these days, but um, there's a lot of environmental and um, socio-historical reasons that um, the the old, uh, you're 18 and you're ready to go, it doesn't seem to hold up much anymore. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, no. For all you parents out there that have your kids who are returning to home after college or still staying with you. That's very common these days for lots of different exactly. reasons. Exactly. Okay. But that's at the, that's at the end of the childhood journey. You, your specialty and love and passion is at the beginning. So how, how did you end up focusing in on those first three years? Um, well, I mentioned the graduate degree. Um, that was an internship where I worked at a sweet little school called the Infant Development Center. And we took children from zero to 36 months. And so my my research was around that. My, my livelihood while I was in college was there. And then when I graduated, it just kind of was a natural thing for me to go seek to be an infant teacher in a college lab school. And so that's what I did. I I got to just take care of babies and, you know, care for their parents. 
And, um, and then I was able to teach courses and then train teachers on how to do the same. And um, so I think that I think that the true love of babies really came from my mom and my family. We, we used to be so happy when the baby would wake up from their nap <laughs> and, and uh, jump to go get them out of the crib. So, yeah, I, th- I think the combination of those things. What has changed in your 30 years in the business of our understanding, uh, if anything, about um, these little, what these little humans need and the most optimal ways to nurture them in healthy ways? That's a really great question. You know, I don't think that children have changed. Um, it's what we know about their brains that has changed. And um mm-hmm. And understanding, you know, like some of the practices that that maybe were common 20 years ago, 30 years ago, just are not now. Say, for example, back to sleep, you know, the the whole SIDS thing taught us and the research around SIDS has taught us that babies in the first four months, particularly, especially at a school, they have to be laid down on their back instead of their tummy even though mm-hmm. I always put my babies on their tummy because they slept better. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. and so that's just, that's one example. But I think that the whole idea of um, responsive care has come to the forefront um, in a way that um, it's just talked about a lot more than it maybe it was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about responsive care, what, what does that mean for us? Um, it means really paying close attention to the cues that your um, children are giving you and responding them to those in a way that um, meets their needs instead of mm-hmm. kind of uh, <laughs> squashing the cry, instead respond to the cry and see what's behind the cry and doing something about it, you know? Yes, the cry as communication as opposed yes. to um, a nuisance um, annoying right. and, um, right. granted many sleep deprived parents out there. So it, it can get really stressful when you of haven't course. slept a lot and your baby's fussing and crying and you don't know why, and you don't know how to make them stop. So as this, how do you counsel your young parents? Um, and you do so on your podcast as well. It's just filled with, um, with, uh, wisdom, your wisdom and techniques. What do you say to these new parents that are, um, it's not, not only is it all new, but it can often be very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, um, there's a, a, a bit of a, a feeling that, um, you have to do it all by yourself, you know? And I, I think that especially, you know, in the last few years with, um, the pandemic, it just kind of perpetuated this feeling of isolation that new parents have with their baby. And it also heightened our fear of germs and having somebody in the house or bringing outside germs in or, or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So you feel like you have to create this protective haven for your baby and you do, but also you need someone to come in and help you and you need, you need help. You need, you need to allow people to help you. Now, mm-hmm. you know, someone might be listening and say, you know, it's a great, 
great idea lady, but I don't have anybody to help. And, and, you know, and, and that's when, gosh, you just have to learn how to communicate it and find the help there. You know, there's lots of professionals, but also just even communicating to your friends and family. Um, I, I really could use your support. I need, I need at least a zoom call with you in these in these hard times and, and connections mm-hmm. with somebody who can give you the support, the emotional support that you need, even if they can't come give you physical support. I've, uh, I have read about the pressure on mothers, especially new mothers with this idea that because one has carried a child all of a sudden there's this expectation they should know exactly what to do and Mm -hmm. are fully responsible for every aspect of a child's life and outcome as a person. And it's this unspoken, this unspoken thing that I like us to dispel here because it just seems there's so much pressure or can be so much pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't just magically know things just because you've gone through labor and delivery, you know, you have to learn about your baby as time goes on. And, you know, there, I think there's a real um, need to, to listen to the professionals who are telling you things, to listen to your aunties and, you know, some of the folks who are giving you advice, don't shun it, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but listen to what people are saying because Nobody's going to tell you something. Well, I guess maybe they could, but they have a good heart. You know, the intentions are good. They want to help you. They, you know, they see. Mm -hmm. But I think that understanding that it takes a good long time to become a parent and to go through the paradigm switch that it takes to, to go through this transition. I think it takes probably nearly Mm -hmm. a year for your head to get around mm-hmm. the whole idea that this person is 100% responsible, uh, reliant on me <laughs> for every little thing. And mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a huge responsibility. And I don't know that we really understand it until that baby is in our arms. And then, as you said, with all the feedback we get from doctors and family members and grandparents, it's, you know, you get a lot of feedback about what mm-hmm. other people think, and it can really, like you said, we got to take some of it in, but it also can take us off of our own center and our own knowing. And as Absolutely. you empower, right, you always, you empower your parents that you work with, like, you know, your child best, like, the, mm-hmm. right, like, and to trust, and to trust that um, mm-hmm. in them. Right. Right. And I, you know, I think maybe just a, a kind of a practical tip would be, select one to two people that you're going to take as your trusted advisors, you know, Mm. and, um, Mm -hmm. and go to them. And what I did as a young mom, even though I had all this experience with babies, when I became a parent, I was just as flabbergasted as anybody else, because you just don't even know (laughs) how it is until you do it. And, um, but I had a friend who was like six months ahead and she was somebody that I trusted and, and she was one that I went to. Um, she and my mom were my my two people. Mm, but mm. yeah, I think identifying somebody that you trust, somebody that you've watched and you admire, you you know, you connect with them. Um, I think that's a, a good 
way to do it. I really think it's a good idea to to kind of stay away from all of the voices. You know, there's a lot of voices out there. You have to filter. And uh, for those of you who can't see Anne, she's saying it with a smile and with wisdom on her face. (laughs) And I do know it, it takes a while for us to have the courage to listen to ourselves and to tamp down all of the other voices and then our own critical voices as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's a process. It is. So as you have noted in your writings um, and podcasts, there is absolutely nothing easy about being a working parent. You now have more responsibilities and you have to entrust others to care for your child and give up that role temporarily, but also for often a substantial amount of the week in doing so. And um, there's a lots of emotions and feelings and concerns that go with that. Oh, absolutely. It's grievous to leave your baby the first time when you have to go back to work. I, I, I feel it, you know, and I, I know that it's really, really hard. Um, you know, I think there's there's things that you can do, and one of them is to really carefully select where you put your child, you know, and to make sure that you have um, a real good sense when you when you meet these people that that you trust them. The trust is really really important, and um. You know, depending on where you live, it can take, you, have, you may have to start looking a year. You might even have to start looking the minute you get pregnant or even beforehand. It just depends on, on where you are. But I know that my, my niece, she's here in the Houston area. And when she had her baby, they went went around looking. She went to all of the top top recommended by her friends and all that stuff. And those were not the ones that that were the ticket for them. They found one school where they really connected with the infant teacher, with the director of the program, and they felt good. They felt safe. And I think that 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 feeling is is really, really important. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's not always mm-hmm. a school, too. It's, it's oftentimes other other settings for child care. What are some of the ways that you recommend people do this research beyond beyond the like there is the feeling, right? There is trusting mm-hmm. your gut feeling mm-hmm. or other brain, the gut. What are the what are sort of the, that checklist, uh, if it's a short list even that you would recommend people look into when making such a big decision? Well, you know, there's a I think probably the one of the very first things I would do is I would check the state records. Um, all mm. in licensing infractions are public knowledge. And so um, go and look at them. I just did a training on minimum standards in Texas with a group of infant teachers this morning. And, and mm. I mean, the book is this thick <laughs> of the mm. things that they have to yeah. do to keep children safe. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge thing taking care of other people's kids. And, um, and so see where their violations are. And every child care center is probably going to have some violations, but look at what those violations are. And, um, and then that doesn't mean that that's not the school for you, but it does mean when you visit with them, you say, 
I noticed when I looked online that this is what I saw. Can you please help me understand? And then let them tell you that we've made all these changes and it's good now. You know, it might very well be good. Um, but I think that's probably one of the, the best places to start. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, trying to drop in and see how things are. Um, just stop by for a visit and, you know, a lot, it just all depends on the program, whether or not they would allow you to just stop in and take a look. Um, mm-hmm. But if it feels very controlled, th- to me, that would be a bit of a red flag. I would want to, I would want an open door policy. Now, mm-hmm. with the pandemic, mm-hmm. I know that there was not very much mm-hmm. open door <laughs> for quite a while, but I think that the doors are op- pretty open right now. And um, just the way that they welcome you in to see and present themselves, I think is really important. You know, when you get down to the nitty gritty, I'd say when you walk in, listen, smell, Mm -hmm. look, you know, you should hear noise. You should hear children crying and laughing and playing and talking. If it's quiet, either they have really thick walls and thick glass or somebody's shushing those kids too much. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if it smells clean and fresh, that's a good sign. If it, you know, if things are tidy and, you know, just all the, the things that you would look for to know that this is a place that is well cared for, that somebody's on mm-hmm. the on the watch <laughs> and taking care mm-hmm. of the all of the details. But and also I would listen for the way children teachers are talking to children. That's a biggie. Yes. 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 And uh and even when you can't quite put your finger on it, but you have a feeling mm-hmm. you gotta trust your feeling, right? We don't Absolutely. always have to have this concrete example mm-hmm. or reason trust right. trust yourself absolutely so what are so what are some of the ways that you recommend to the parents that you work with of how to maintain the bond strengthen the bond you know um keep developing their bond when they're away from their kids up to 40 hours a week while working mm-hmm. you know um i think there's One thing that you can do is just try to put a little padding in your schedule so that when you drop off and when you pick up, maybe one or the other, because on both ends would might be too much, but just allow a little linger time. You know, there's a real big difference between here she she is, here's her backpack, bye-bye, I'll see you later, and kind of a, a walk down the hall, stepping in, looking at what they've got out on the tables, you know, making sure your kid is engaged and then giving them a, a big wave goodbye and you're going to have a great day. There, there's a real big difference in the way that feels. And I understand that, you know, sometimes you don't have the time for that. But at the end of the day, too, when when you come to pick up your child and they are so engaged in playing that they don't want to leave or they look at you and start crying, it's not because they don't want to go with you. It just means that they're having fun. And that's a good thing. And um, if you can just go in and sit with them and talk about what they're doing or watch them and then talk to them when they come out, you know, try just maintaining a positive attitude with drop off and pick up. And um, so that's one. Another one is to, um, you know, if, if the school allows it, if they, if they are a school that does this kind of communication, 
text, you know, ask for pictures throughout the day, find out what's happening. You know, some schools even have cameras where you can watch your kid. I know that might be a huge distraction at work, but if you could pop in and just see, you know, on the nanny cam what's going on, um, that might be nice. Um, notes in the notes in the diaper bag, notes in the lunchbox, photograph, books made of pictures of the family so that your baby can have pictures of you while you're gone, while you're separated. Um, all of those connection points, I think, are good. But I also think that one thing that parents can do is it's it's almost like an unspoken, but it is spoken. Communicate to their child, you are fully capable of managing this school that I have selected, especially for you. And I know that you as a two-year-old can go in there and play and make friends and you can love Miss Susan just as much as I, I do as your mom and, and just communicate confidence in your child's ability to do well and to learn and to play and to make friends and, and gain autonomy. I think that that's a really, I think that's really helpful for kids. Mm-hmm. And th- and that's making me think also of, I mean, all the research that shows how healthy for their development it is for kids to be around lots of other people, right? To have these socialization mm-hmm. experiences and for us to think about it as, as this is something that is good for them as opposed to that guilt that um, that we can feel, um, and particularly mothers, like the, the shaming about, oh, your child's in daycare. I mean, th- this stuff still happens, right? Where people know, yeah. get judged. And um, so I think you're here to tell everyone that it's simply, um, it's not true, right? That there, there is, there is no, there is no guilt in this. There is no shame in this. This is, this is real life. And mm-hmm. a huge, huge, huge percentage of young kids are in childcare. That's just, that's how it works in our society these days. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, the, the people who are working at the childcare center are doing it because they love the work. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't mm-hmm. choose that job if they didn't want to be there. And so um, they are a very diverse group of people. The people who work with our children in this country are so fascinating. And I would say that, and I I can say this with, with full confidence, they are really nice people, you know, and um, anytime I'm ever around early childhood educators, I'm just so struck at how kind hearted they are. And, um, and so I think we can trust that. And it's good for your child to be around people who don't talk like you, who don't look like you, who don't, do things the way that you do because they're learning about all the different kinds of people in the world. And, um, and so that's a good thing, you know? So how, in your experience, how does one, and seeing your mom do this when you were a young child, how does one manage the responsibilities of of work and family without l- totally losing oneself? Like, where where's <laughs> where's there any room for 
parent who is working and raising their family? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that working parents really have to be very mindful about finding the nooks and crannies in their day to take care of themselves because there's not very many of them, you know, um, Mm -hmm. it's real hard to peel a two year old off your leg and leave them crying at school and then get in your car and hop on a call with somebody on the way to work or knowing Mm -hmm. that you have a meeting as soon as you get there, there's a real, there's a real head switch there that has to happen. And if, if it's possible (laughs) to just give yourself 10 to 15 minutes to switch, you know, to do something with your head, whatever works for you, you know, um, to get over there. I think that that just planning for that, even if you have to leave the house a little bit earlier to allow Mm -hmm. yourself that time, you know, I, I suggest things like listening to comedy on the radio or, you know, listening to fun things, listening to beautiful music, listening to things that, um, that build you up or, you know, just spending that, that time to, to make the switch. And then if you happen to get a lunch break, you know, to make it a time where maybe you're doing something a little bit different that, that feeds your soul, whatever that might be. Maybe it's knitting Mm -hmm. something, (laughs) whatever it is that you love. Um, But yeah, I, I think that there's just a period of time when your kids are little where you don't have much time to yourself, but the time no. that you do get, you just have to make the very best mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And when you said um, like dropping off a crying child and going for a meeting, it brings up lots of personal memories. Our kids um, all had very challenging transitions uh, going to daycare. Um, there was always, it they were kind of known as the Velcro kids. Like, you know, you had to like peel them off and they were very upset. And so there is the whole continuum of the kids that just smile and they run into their place or they happily go to another caregiver when you're just, they're young enough. And then there are the other kids that Mm -hmm. don't like it, have, uh, whether it's an anxious disposition um, or some separation anxiety. And man, we know from first firsthand experience that takes a toll. Like, talk about you feel bad anyways that you're you know wanting to spend more time with your child, and then when they're so upset and reaching for you and having to be peeled off you, that does not that that doesn't help. No, it feels really really bad. Yeah, I used to time it. I used to literally watch my watch, and I would call the parent and say it took about two and a half minutes for her to calm down and play happily. Oh, that's so important. That's so important. Yeah. It's really, really, I mean, some people might say it's a show. I don't think it's a show. I think it's that child's true emotion. They do not want to leave you. They love you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They don't want to be with anybody but you. And that is, to me, that just shows you're doing a great job. And, And if you could even change your, what you're saying to yourself, mm. I feel horrible. I'm a terrible parent because I've left my screaming kid at childcare. Switch it over to, man, we have a great relationship. She doesn't even want to say goodbye, even though there's all those great <laughs> like things that. to do. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, children just do that. I don't know why they do it, but they sure do. They do. A lot of them do. And, um, 
I know this is one of these things for all of us to have compassion towards others is that even though we don't have may, might not have that experience is to have compassion for others who were watching go through it without judgment because yeah, it's just absolutely. so easy to assign blame to someone or something for that's why your child's like yeah, this yeah. or that's why and if you just do this mm-hmm. and that's the last thing that that parent wants to hear or feel in these difficult uh at times, heart-wrenching moments. Absolutely. And okay, so I'm going to go back and revisit the whole, how do you find a child care center? You need to find a a staff that is supportive and will see you Mm -hmm. through that, who is going to respond to that in a positive way um, and and support you through it. You know, there's a real difference even in the way that child care folks respond to that, Mm -hmm. you know? And you want you want to find the ones who are going to be nice about it. <laughs> yes, yes, and I know we uh, we benefited from that uh, with our kids, and I know that made a huge difference to get that phone yeah. call to say, "Hey, they're all right, they're okay, yeah. they're playing right now." Yeah. You know, it took this yeah. long, or uh, mm-hmm. in some cases, they went to sleep and then they woke up and they were fine. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. right? But it really, yeah. yeah, for peace of mind as you're going through the day because you had to. And this is the thing of these obstacles of that working parents have to have Mm -hmm. the emotional load of worrying about your child and how they're doing while you're trying to do your own job. That is a lot. Right. It is. It is. So what are these obstacles? What would you say are the obstacles that you see working parents commonly experience and then some ideas for dealing with them? Um, Well, I think... Getting out the door in the morning and mm-hmm. starting the day is probably one a, a really pretty big obstacle that that can catch you off guard. Um, you just oftentimes you don't know what your two year old's going to do, and they might throw a screaming Mimi, and and it sets everything back fifteen minutes and, and messes up your day. And so I think anything that you can do to prepare the child for what's happening, and also preparing physically. I mean, if you can put things in the car the night before and just all you have to do is walk out, I think that's that's helpful. So so getting out the door, I think, is a really big obstacle. Um, of course, the drop off. <laughs> um, and then at the end of the day, everybody's tired. And that's that can be a tricky time, too, because you're tired. And so your patients might not be quite as as long. And your child is tired and hungry and, you know, doesn't have much left in their rope before they need to go to bed. And, um, and so you feel like your time at the end of the day is, is not as good and positive and wonderful as you would like for it to be. And that, that can Mm -hmm. make you feel bad as well. So I think just knowing that, um, that your kid had a happy day of play (laughs) that, you know, if things aren't all perfectly, birds flying everywhere, you know, in, in, in the morning and evening that it's okay. But, but watching your kid and being responsive and trying to respond to whatever it is that they are communicating to you, I think is key. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and just doing the best you can, you know, to get through the, those crazy hours. Um, yes. I think another obstacle is just feeling like you have no time at all. 
And mm-hmm. um, of course, there's all of the things that that people say, and you know, I don't need to repeat them. But if you can just put your devices down and maybe mm-hmm. do something that is is not quite so um, brainless, and mm-hmm. even that's what you feel like you need, maybe a bubble bath would be better, or maybe a glass of wine with your partner and talking about what happened at work today might be better than just both sitting and scrolling you know, just making the effort to try to do something like that and to revive your spirit a little bit mm-hmm. or you know, go, bed, go to bed earlier. <laughs> yeah. Go to bed earlier. But, and that, so this is that dilemma, go to bed earlier. And yet that for many is the only windows of time that you have um, <laughs> to yourself, because you said you might be feeling like you don't have any time for yourself and we know that uh parents of young kids and all kids often feel like that and it's not only a feeling it's actually often true right it's it's like it's a feeling and it's reality (laughs) it's total truth so yeah yeah, that dilemma of that that nighttime where a time alone for you with yourself time with your partner um it's this give and take or cost benefit analysis of, gosh, I really need sleep, but oh gosh, I really just need to sit here in peace and quiet, or I just really need mm-hmm. to connect with my partner. Mm-hmm. Or I need to do the grocery order so they'll deliver it. You know, it's all those yeah, things. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, what my daughter and her um, partner do is they take turns giving each other a night off each week. So mm. one night a week, they each do the whole bedtime thing with all three kids. And the other person, you know, like (laughs) my daughter oftentimes will go work in the yard because she loves to do that, but she just is, is off from Mm -hmm. the tasks. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a really good way to do it because it doesn't cost them anything. It's a little bit of Mm -hmm. effort when it's your turn, but you also know that, well, tomorrow night it's my turn. (laughs) And so it makes it a little bit better. And, um, so that's one way to do it, you know, and if you, if you've got a, a family member, grandparent, somebody that you could set up a regular time to get it, get some help in the home and give you some time away. I think it's really good. Scheduling mm-hmm. time with friends, mm-hmm. of course, is, is good. Even if it's with your neighbors where you just sit outside with your monitors going and, you know, you mm-hmm. can do mm-hmm. something like that. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of push-pull feelings. Yes. With, yes. Some of our, some ones. of our, you just reminded me of some of our happiest memories, um, were with our neighbors across the street and the, we had this big tree in the middle of the street and we were in a, like a, it's kind of a place where a lot of cars didn't come just if you happen to live on our street. And there's so this giant oak tree in the middle of the street and we would put a makeshift little like Italian restaurant looking thing up with an umbrella. Um, <laughs> and we'd both have our baby monitors are with the, the other couple and right on the table, we were both what, 20 feet away from our house. Right. And it was this, this feeling of being free and having a night out while also parenting. Uh, yeah. so that was, that was a happy memory you triggered, like the trying to be creative <laughs> with your, with your neighbors to get that yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah. that, you know, that that's really one of the keys is just to to look around and look at what resources do I have available to me and how can I take advantage of of these resources? How can I meet my needs with what I have here in front of me? You know, a lot of a lot of childcare centers offer 
you know, a night out for parents, that would be a great thing to do or coordinate with some friends, you know, I'll take yours this week. You take mine that week. You know, there are Mm -hmm. lots and lots of ways to be creative with this. Yes. Yes. I think that's the key is that being creative and, um, with understanding the realities of the situation, it is hard. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you got to be really creative because, um, there's not a lot of time, but it's just being mindful of that, Mm -hmm. that need. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're, you're talking about the relationship with, um, with, you know, the importance of a relationship with the daycare providers. Mm -hmm. How do you recommend parents cultivate that relationship? Are there do, are there do's and don'ts of things to do to, (laughs) to, to make that connection happen as, as well as possible? You know, I think it's as, as with any interaction with another person, you just get to know them, you know, learn about what they are interested in and what do they love and what do they do when they go home? What do they do on the weekends? If they're willing to share it, you know, and like, I, I can think back of, I mean, parents used to come into my room and tell me their stories and I loved hearing their baby stories. I loved their babies not as much as they did, but I loved their babies and I loved hearing the funny things they did on the weekend and they loved hearing the funny things they did during the day. And so just exchanging stories about your kid with this person who's spending all this time with them, it's a really good thing to do. It, it not only does it connect you and helps you know them, help you know them, but it also, you are modeling for your child that you trust the school and the school trusts you and y'all are a community and it is, um, this is their world, you know, their world is their school and their world is their home and they need to be connected. And the way that you connect is by getting to know the the teachers. If you see a new staff person, there's a lot of new staff in childcare. There's a lot of turnover. Mm -hmm. And when you see a new face, introduce yourself. I mean, there's a, you know, just get to know people. And um, I think that's probably one of the most important things that you can do. And and that ties back to the whole linger, at drop off and pick up, you right. know, that's yep. where those real yep. conversations happen. And um, mm-hmm. if the teacher is unavailable, then um, I would ask, when are you available? When is a good time for us to talk? Because I want to know you. I want I want to mm-hmm. know you. And I want you to know me and, uh, and, and cultivate it that way. There's a statement on your website that really spoke to me because it's completely aligned with this show and uh, having awareness. And so here's your statement. The joy and challenge of knowing your child intersects with how well you know yourself. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, I think that when you become a parent, there's a lot of things that you don't know about yourself because they're going to come out when you become a parent. And Mm -hmm. um, you might learn all kinds of new things, but it might bring up, you know, a lot of stuff from your childhood. It might bring up a lot of insecurities and just 
learning that about yourself and dealing with it, I think is really important. But also, you may not even know how capable you are of loving another being as much as you love your child. I think that's probably one of the things that is the most lovely surprises about being a parent is just this this welling of love that you have for this kid. And um and that really is where the joy is. And then of course every you know every stage of parenting presents its new thing. And um mm-hmm. and so for me personally it was parenting adolescence that was it was very hard. It it triggered up a lot of stuff for me. I learned a lot <laughs> about mm-hmm. myself during that time. And um, mm-hmm. it just wasn't comfortable for me. Some people are real comfortable with teenagers and I'm comfortable with little kids. And um, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with those kids when they were cocooning in their room and wouldn't talk to me and just, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. And so, um, mm-hmm. so yeah. And that, and then Letting go, you know, when when kids need to launch as young adults, I think that's another time when you really have a lot of self-reflection to do. And, um, you know, where is your identity? You've just spent the last 20 years identifying as the parent of this person. You're still their parent, but they really don't need you so much anymore. So what's what's left of you (laughs) and and um, figuring all that out? It's yeah, it's a. It's yeah. a journey. It's a good journey. It's a journey. It is. It is a journey, and it uh, it doesn't end. They no. are my, our experiences. Our kids continue to uh, be our teachers in ways mm-hmm. that are sometimes welcome and sometimes unwelcome. Like that, you would like right. you wouldn't choose it, right? But mm-hmm. it's all really important. Um, Absolutely, I think for continued growth. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Anne, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent or even an awareness of your own parents and that new awareness had a positive impact on yourself, your kids, and or those you love. Okay, I've been thinking about this. I knew this question was coming. And I have a lot of answers to it, actually, but I'm going to tell you this one story. When our kids were like in fourth, sixth, and eighth grade, they were about two years apart, three mm-hmm. kids, um, I was dropping my son, the sixth grader, off at some school function, and I saw this friend in the parking lot. She's, you know, we just had this exchange. I said, what's new? She says, oh, I'm going to go, on a, a, I'm going to go hike the Grand Canyon in three weeks. You want to go? And I went, yeah. And so I decided kind of um, a pretty uncalculated decision. I thought because I could run three miles that I could hike a a, a Mm rim-to-rim hike (laughs) with a Mm 50-pound backpack. And um, no big deal. But anyways, I, I I I had never seen the Grand Canyon. I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I knew it was an adventure. I knew it was going to be a challenge. And I needed to do it. I was, you know, I was that many years into in parenting. It. I was, I needed to do it. I was scared to death. And when I saw the canyon, I was really scared. And um, 
and I did it. And there was only three of us on the hike. And the other two were, I would call them much more athletic women than me. And, um, and they had been training. They knew they were going to go for much longer than, <laughs> than I did. <laughs> Anyways, I did that hike. And every step of the way, I gained a little bit more confidence and a little, you know, I, I worked through the fear and really coming up on the North Rim. That's when I had the worst fears because it was just so stinking steep. And I am scared to death of heights and why I agreed to mm. do it. I don't even know. But <laughs> when we got to the end, um, I had done it. And, and I think what it did for me is I realized that I could do pretty much anything I put my mind to and that I could do very hard things. And I showed my kids in that very important age, junior high, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you have to be courageous and do things that scare you to death. And that mm-hmm. when you do, you stand up stronger and and you you gain a confidence that you will not gain if you don't work through these fears. And mm-hmm. for a really long time, and he hasn't said it to me in a while, but for a long time, my husband would say, anytime I got scared of something, and, and, and I can get scared, um, he will say, Ann, you hiked the Grand Canyon. And I'm like, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did do that. <laughs> I so, can do this then. Yeah. I can do that. I did that. But I think that what that showed my kids is working through the fears, but also it, I think for my daughters, it they probably were a little empowered by my empowerment of that event. Yes. And, um, and I, I think that my son also learned about an empowered woman through that event. You know, I think Mm -hmm. it was a life learning thing for all of us. And, um, and so my kids saw me change. They saw me grow in ways that, you know, that were really interesting. You know, they probably didn't make any sense of it until they were many, many years later. But I think even look back, looking back at it now, they might, I would really actually love to have that conversation with them. I think I will about, you know, mm-hmm. what did they observe and what did they feel about me doing that thing? Or were they just mad because I was gone for a week? You know, that was, that was another part of it was they had to manage mm-hmm. themselves while I was gone. Um, and another thing that happened out of that trip is, I mean, I always liked nature, but wow. The rocks inside the Grand Canyon are, it was overwhelmingly beautiful. And um, I have become an avid rock collector since then. And my son, you know, uh, and I have this shared love of rocks. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, rocks are my thing now. So. All this because you said yes. That's right? It. You said yes. And um, I do get that you needed a break at that point in in your um, parenting journey. However, even when people need a break, they often feel guilty for doing anything for themselves. And you did something for yourself, which not only tremendously impacted your life, but also your kids seeing you do that. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that um, 
empowering and at times treacherous moment um, in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and tell tell everyone about uh, your podcast, about Nurtured Noggins, and where they can find you. Okay. Well, my podcast is Parenting in the First Three Years, and um, I'm on episode 84, so I've been doing it for a couple of years now. And I really do try to focus on child development. Um, there's a, there's some mom stuff in there, parenting stuff too, but I really, I like to talk about child development. I think it's the most fascinating subject. And so um, that's, that's primarily what it is about. Um, Nurtured Noggins is a result of my daughter and I starting a mommy blog about uh, eight years ago. And she was going to, you know, make this thing happen. And she did a beautiful job of creating this website and writing some blog posts and, and then had her second child and said, you know, kind of lost my zip on this. I think I'd like to stop. And I just loved it and kept the name. I, I, I thought it was a cute name, Nurtured Noggins, and I kept it. But I was doing my teacher training, you know, and still do that. And, uh, and so then I went to look to check on that little website because I had to pay for the URL. And she had gone viral on um, how to play with your zero to three month old. What do you do with your three to six month old? what activities do you need for a six to nine month old? And I thought, well, hey, I think people are interested in that. And so I kind of pivoted my attention over to um, really parent education over teacher education. And um, and so that's what I'm doing now. I'm doing, I do a group coaching for moms that is all about success principles for themselves, empowering themselves, and then also taking those same principles and teaching them to their kids in developmentally appropriate ways whether their child is early, middle, adolescent, or young adult. And then um, and then I work with people one-to-one. And uh, so you can find me, Nurtured Noggins, anything, Facebook, Instagram, NurturedNoggins.com, and at NurturedNoggins.com. So I'd love to hear from anybody who wants to talk. Awesome. Awesome. And it is a great name. Nurtured Noggins <laughs> is a great name. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anne. Thank you for sharing your love of this topic and for your love of children. It just, it exudes from you. It exudes from your website, um, from your podcast. And so everyone go check both the podcast, Parenting in the First Three Years and Nurtured Noggins for resources and resources. And please share this with all of the people you know who have young children, new parents, soon to be parents, because as those of you know who've had these kids, this is a whole new venture when we uh, when we set out to raise these little human beings. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been so fun to talk to you. Thank you all for listening, for your five-star reviews, for sharing this episode with your friends and bringing amazing people to our wonderful community. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become. And ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast 
and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.